Let's get into the Word today. Uh, as Shannon kicked off the service, talking about the Holy Spirit, we are in a teaching series called Rest on Us, where our desire from, uh, from Isaiah chapter 11 is that the Holy Spirit would rest on us and that we would see His gifts operating in our lives. And so our goal during this season is to understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to understand that they are powerful and that they are practical. Not that they're strange or weird or fringe things. I want you to see that they are powerful and they are practical. And so last Sunday, we laid down the foundation. If you missed last Sunday's sermon, I highly encourage you to go listen to the podcast because it really kind of lays all those important principles out to understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and how to operate in them. If you remember, this was our definition of gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's an act of God's Spirit to produce a concrete manifestation in word or deed of God's grace through an individual for the benefit of others. Or in simple terms, the Holy Spirit uses you as a conduit to minister to somebody else, and He does it in a supernatural way through your life. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and so what we're going to do moving forward now for five Sundays is we're going to teach all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Paul taught. And so we've got this slide. We'll put it up on the screen. We broke them up into five categories. These categories are totally made up. They're not biblical. I just broke them up into categories to make it easier to teach them. All right? And so we're going to teach uh, the revelation gifts. There's three of those. We're going to teach the power gifts. There's three of those. We're going to teach the vocal gifts. There's three of those. Remember, some people stop right there with nine gifts. I think that's silly because uh, then we're also going to teach the serving gifts. There's seven of those. So that gets us to 16. Some people stop there, but oh, not me. We're also going to teach the office gifts, which there's five of those. And so over the next five Sundays, we're going to teach all 21 of these gifts that Paul taught. Now, of course, we could take it a step further and say that Paul only taught these 21 because they were the most common, but any act of the Holy Spirit through our life is a gift of the Holy Spirit, right? But these are the ones we have in the Word, and so these are the ones we're going to teach, and this is what we're going to go after. So today, part two of this series is the Revelation Gifts. I want to teach you the three Revelation Gifts. If you've got your notes, you can find your notes in your bulletin or on the church app. They're attached to this video on our website, or they're attached to this audio podcast. Here's our big picture point today. The revelation gifts are moments of supernatural insight that allow us to speak or minister into a situation beyond what we could ever do in the natural. All right, this is supernatural insight. We're going to be able to minister into things that we could never do just simply using human wisdom. Remember Isaiah 11:2. we read those characteristics, those attributes when the Holy Spirit rests on us? Well, these gifts fall under the attribute of that He is the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. He is the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. And so the three revelation gifts you can see in your notes that we're going to teach today are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the distinguishing of spirits. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the distinguishing of spirits. I think it's important to start with wisdom and knowledge because wisdom and knowledge are foundational pieces of biblical teaching. 
Right? If we read Proverbs chapter 24, it says this, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong, and a person of knowledge increases power. Or maybe one of the more famous verses from Proverbs, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Right? Wisdom and knowledge. In Colossians, Paul states that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. So we start with this idea of wisdom and knowledge being foundational to biblical teaching. And then we think about in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Paul says we should desire the greater gifts. And then he doesn't explain what the greater gifts are. So there's a lot of ideas. One idea is that the greater gifts is prophecy because prophecy is the only one of the gifts that Paul says we should all try to practice. Other people say that wisdom and knowledge are the greater gifts because those are such foundational pieces to the Bible. I would give you a different idea. What if the greater gifts are the ones we use in love? Because immediately after 1 Corinthians 12, 31 comes 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Or what if the greater gifts are the ones that are needed in the moment? Right? Listen, if somebody is sick, they don't need you to operate in the gift of tongues. They need someone to operate in the gift of healing. If someone is confused, they don't need you to operate in the gift of administration. They need the gift of the word of wisdom, right? So maybe the greater gift is wisdom and knowledge, or maybe the greater gift is any gift we use in love, or maybe the greater gift is just the gift that's needed in the moments. But I wanted to start with that foundation of wisdom and knowledge because what you're going to find is that all three of these gifts, wisdom, knowledge, and discernment, are all things that we should be developing in our life as we grow in maturity in Christ. So what we're going to see is that the gift of the Holy Spirit is different. It's a different level than us just simply growing in these areas in our life. And that's what we're going to try to differentiate today. If you remember from last week, the purposes of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they are for the common good. They are to minister to others. They are to build up the church, and they are to confirm the gospel. So as we study each of these individual gifts, let's look for those purposes, for the common good, to build up the church, and to confirm the gospel. So what you're going to find in your notes today, I'm very limited in the space I have in the bulletin. And so I had to paraphrase a lot of stuff to fit it in the bulletin. And so on the screen, you're going to see the paraphrase, but then you're going to see the longer sentences that I couldn't fit in the bulletin, all right? So just wanted to throw that out there. Here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 8. Paul says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Let's start with the word of wisdom. Let's break this gift down. The word wisdom in Greek is the word Sophia. So if you know any ladies named Sophia, their name means wisdom. 
So the short definition of wisdom is that it's insight and perception so that you can understand how to act. It's to be able to see into a situation and know the right thing to do in that situation. The longer definition also includes a specialized knowledge that gives us skill for practical action, living a morally upright life. So James in chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we should all be asking God for wisdom. And we should all be growing in that wisdom as we walk with Jesus. So wisdom is something we should all have. But what is the gift of the word of wisdom? Well, first off, I think it's important to highlight that it's not just the gift of wisdom. It's the gift of the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom. So the word word (laughs) in Greek is the word logos. And it literally means word. Okay, it's pretty straightforward. But it's most commonly used in the sense of a spoken message. Now, this is the standard Greek definition. We have two special biblical definitions of logos. One is it refers to the entirety of the Word of God. The entirety of the Bible is the logos. And also, Jesus himself is the logos, right? He is the Word from the beginning. So those are special definitions that that the church adopted. But in Greek, logos just means word, especially a spoken word. So that means that the word of wisdom is a spoken word. What does that mean? Does it mean that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us? Or does it mean that we're supposed to be speaking it? Let's go with both. All right? The Holy Spirit speaks it to us, and then we're supposed to speak it to others. So how does the Holy Spirit speak it to us? Well, Shannon already started the day by by sharing deep insight into this, right? An unction, right? A a compulsion, something inside of us that says the Holy Spirit is working and I need to do this or I need to say this. He could speak to us through a silent inner voice, right? Elijah heard the still small whisper of God. He could speak to us through an audible voice, right? An angelic presence or the Holy Spirit himself. You might hear it audibly even though nobody else in the room hears it. He might speak to you through a dream or a vision. Or he might speak to you through what uh, was called in the old school church the quickening of Scripture. And that means when all of a sudden there are Bible verses that just jump into your spirits, maybe you didn't even have them memorized, but now you do because the Holy Spirit just brought them into your spirit and quickened a scripture to you, and that's a way for him to speak a word of wisdom to you. So you can see in your notes, what is the word of wisdom? What is the practical application? Well, in my paraphrasing, it's to speak, to know, and to guide. You can fill in those three blanks, to speak, to know, and to guide. Now, let's break those down into some longer sentences and talk about what does the word of wisdom look like? Well, the first one is this. It's the divine ability to speak the mysteries of God. And you say, well, what are the mysteries of God? Well, Jesus said that the mysteries of the kingdom were made known to his followers, but not to the world. In Colossians, Paul said that Christ in us, the hope of glory, is the mystery of God. Repeatedly, Paul states that the revelation of the gospel is the hidden mystery of God. In Corinthians, Paul said that he taught God's wisdom as a mystery to those who were mature in the faith. 
So when we talk about the mysteries of God, we're talking about revealing God's plan of salvation. We're talking about revealing wise insights into the truth of God's word. That's what we're talking about. So the word of wisdom is the divine ability to speak the mysteries of God in a way that no one can oppose it. Let's look at some examples of this. Let's start with Jesus. Now, some of you might be like, wait a minute. It's not fair to use Jesus as an example. He was God. Well, yeah, but he was also a man full of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do also. So I think it is fair to look at Jesus as an example of operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 6, Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man learn these things? And what is this wisdom that has been given to him? Right? You notice it's a gift. What is this wisdom that's been given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? Right? So Jesus was speaking the deep insights of the mysteries of God, and the people were amazed. This guy didn't go to rabbi school. He was a carpenter. We watched this kid grow up here. Where is he getting all of this wisdom? That's the gift of the word of wisdom. What about Stephen? Acts chapter 6. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But listen to this. But they were unable to cope with his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. So there was this whole synagogue that opposed the gospel and wanted to argue with Stephen, and yet Stephen could speak the mysteries of God in such a way that they couldn't cope with it. Other translations say they couldn't overcome it. They couldn't oppose it. That's the word of wisdom. Luke chapter 21, Jesus teaches it like this. As he's speaking of the later days, which we live in the later days. We taught that earlier this year. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, turning you over to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors on account of my name. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will provide you eloquence and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to oppose or refute. So listen, Jesus said, you're going to get persecuted. And when you get persecuted, it's going to be an opportunity to share your testimony. And the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you with the gift of the word of wisdom. And you're going to be able to speak the mysteries of God in a way that nobody can oppose it. Hallelujah. Listen, we live in a day and age of cancel culture. Anybody who does or says anything controversial or outside of the only acceptable mainstream message gets canceled, they get ridiculed, they get mocked, they get scorned, they get attacked, they get threatened. And in this culture, the church has grown somewhat silent because we're like, I don't want to get ridiculed, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. 
What if what we really need is not people to stay silent in this day, but we need people to operate in the gift of the word of wisdom who will stand up and speak the mysteries of God in a way that even cancel culture cannot oppose it? Whoo, come on. That's power and practical. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit, the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is also to know the divine ability to know God's will in a specific situation and how to apply it. Acts chapter 16, it says this about Paul. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And then it goes on. I'm sorry, it's not on the screen, but it says it goes on to say, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. The Holy Spirit can speak to us by visions of a man of Macedonia standing and pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately sought to leave for Macedonia. This is a word of wisdom. Paul wanted to go this way. The Spirit said no. He wanted to go this way. The Spirit said no. He wanted to go here. The Spirit said no. And then the Holy Spirit gave him a vision, a word of wisdom, and he said, oh, we're supposed to go to Macedonia. That's the word of wisdom. It's to know the will of God. I want to share my wife's story. Uh, she operates in these gifts, and you might tend to find that people who would identify themselves as fuelers, you know what I mean? You just tend to feel things. You tend to sense things. You would operate in, in these gifts, and that is my wife. So we just had a situation a couple of weeks ago where Shannon was praying about a door of ministry. And I'm not at liberty to share about it yet, other than to say it has nothing to do with us leaving. I'm always super sensitive. I feel like I'm freaking you guys out. And it has nothing to do with us leaving, but it was just a door of ministry. And Shannon was praying about it, and she was travailing so deep in prayer that she was actually physically ill for four days. She was waking up every day nauseous. And it's like, you're not pregnant, are you? Because uh, that would be a miracle, because we both fixed that. Um, she was physically nauseous for four days as she travailed in prayer. And then on the morning of the fifth day, she woke up. The Holy Spirit gave her a word of wisdom. She knew God's will, and the sickness and the anxiety went away, and she had perfect peace. That's the word of wisdom. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the third word was to guide. It's the divine ability to guide people and the church through difficult, confusing times. It's a divine ability to guide people and the church through difficult and confusing times. So in Acts chapter 15, the church was going through a confusing time. The gospel had been opened up to Gentiles, so now Gentiles were flooding into the church, and Jews and Gentiles were worshiping God together. But then this group called the Judaizers were coming into the church and saying, well, if Gentiles want to follow Jesus, they have to become Jewish. And it was causing great confusion in the church, and people didn't know, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to listen to the Judaizers? What are we supposed to do? And so they all came to the church of Jerusalem to appeal to the apostles of the church, what are we supposed to do? And so first Peter stands up and tells his story about the whole house of Cornelius getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he's like, why should we put any burden on the Gentiles? The Holy Spirit fell on them. 
And then Paul and Barnabas stand up, and they start telling the stories of all the supernatural fruit they're seeing as they preach the gospel in Gentile cities. And then James, who at this point is recognized as the senior pastor of the church of Jerusalem, James stands up and listen to this, starting in verse 13. After they stopped speaking, James responded saying, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has described how God first concerned himself about taking a people for his name from among the Gentiles. The words of the prophet agree with this just as it is written. What is happening right here? The Holy Spirit just quickened Scripture to James's heart, and he stands up in the meeting and quotes the Scripture. Here it is. After these things, I will return, and I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. He's quoting Amos. Right? So this prophecy from Amos is quick into his heart. He stands up and he speaks the prophecy. And he says, if it was God's intention for the Gentiles to call upon his name, then why should we place any further burdens on the Gentiles? And he says, let's just place these few burdens on them. And it was, you know, some important things like don't practice adultery, don't drink blood. Um, and then... In verse 22, it says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. This was a word of wisdom, a time of great confusion. The Holy Spirit comes upon James. A scripture is quickened to his heart. He speaks the word of wisdom, and he guides the church through this confusing time. Are you guys following me? So this is the practical and powerful application of the word of wisdom, that we can stand up and speak the mysteries of God in a way that no one can oppose it, that we can know the will of God, and that we can guide people in the church through confusing circumstances. Amen? All right, let's talk about the word of knowledge. Again, it starts with the word of knowledge. It's the logos of knowledge. It's spoken to us, and we're supposed to speak it. So our short definition of knowledge is comprehension of a matter through learning or experience. And this is the Greek word gnosis. The longer definition includes the idea of coming to know something, experiencing something, comprehending something, but also a very Greek thing was to verify through observation. That gnosis was something that uh, if you were going to learn it or teach it, you had to be able to see it and confirm it. And Christianity turned this on its head because they began to preach of a gnosis of God, the knowledge of God that was by faith and not by sight. This also might sound familiar to you because at the same time that Christianity was being birthed, there was a pagan religion known as Gnosticism, which comes from this same word gnosis. And Gnosticism tried to infiltrate the church. And it took the apostles and the teachers to stand up and speak against the false teaching of Gnosticism, which taught that you could only know God through a special knowledge given to certain people, hence the word Gnosticism. So knowledge to the Greeks was to verify through observation, but knowledge to the church was a knowledge of God that could only be experienced through faith and relationship through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Are you guys with me? 
So again, we should all be growing in knowledge. Paul prayed for the church at Colossae. He said this, For this reason we also, since the day we heard about it, have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So growing in the knowledge of God is something we should all be doing so that we can walk the life He intended us to walk. So that means the word of knowledge has to be something different than that. So what is the word of knowledge? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. For who among people knows the thoughts of a person except the spirit of the person that is in him? So also the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. To me, this was Paul's description of the gift of the word of knowledge. Right? We don't know the inner workings of somebody's life. We don't know their inner thoughts. We all have that thought track that kind of runs, and we don't want anybody to know it because there's some pretty weird stuff that runs through there. Nobody knows the inner workings of your life except the spirit that is in you. Same thing with God. We cannot know the inner workings of God's thoughts except for the spirit of God who reveals them to us. So what does that mean? That means that the word of knowledge provides us three things. The first is to know the thoughts of God. Or an expanded version, the divine ability to know the thoughts of God in a given situation. Matthew 16, Jesus asks Peter, who do you think that I am? And Peter's answer, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This was a revelation of knowledge from God that before anybody had any proof, there was no resurrection. We didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the gift of the word of knowledge, that he knew that. To know the thoughts of God, to have something revealed to you, to know what God is thinking and what God is doing. The second thing is to know someone's personal life or an expanded version, the ability to know the inner workings of someone else's life. We see this with Jesus at the well in Samaria, that a Samaritan woman comes up to him and they start talking and he has knowledge of the fact that she was an adulterous woman with a string of failed marriages? How did he know that? That's the word of knowledge. What about Peter? When Ananias and Sapphira came into the church in Acts chapter 5 and said, we sold a property and here's all the money from it. And Peter says, no, that's not all the money from it. And he actually says this to Ananias. He says, why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? How could Peter have known what Ananias conceived in his heart unless the Holy Spirit had given him a word of knowledge? Are you guys with me? So what does a word of knowledge look like in practical application? 
You might be with somebody, and then God gives you a word about the inner workings of their life. And so you're like, whoa, this is, this is difference. So then you turn to them and you say, hey, listen, I feel like God just revealed to me that you're struggling with insecurity, and the source of that insecurity was the abuse that you experienced when you were young. If you say to that to somebody and you're spot on, their heart is going to open wide open to the reality of God, and you're going to be able to minister to them in a way that you never could before. That is the practicality of the word of knowledge to know the inner workings of someone else's life. The third application of the word of knowledge is to know of distant events, the divine ability to know of distant events, and not because you saw it on Instagram or somebody texted you, but because you know something is going on because God showed you. We see this with Jesus in John chapter 11. He knows that Lazarus died even though he's still a three days walk away from Bethany. That's the word of knowledge. We see this in Acts chapter 11 when Agabus stands up and tells the church that a great famine is coming. And it stirs the church up to begin to prepare and collect food to take care of the people of God all over the region. How could Agabus have possibly known that a famine was coming? A word of knowledge. Paul, when he's talking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, tells them, after I leave, false prophets are going to come in, and this is exactly what they're going to do to the church. How could Paul have known that except a word of knowledge? So we can know the thoughts of God, we can know the inner workings of somebody's life, and we can know distant events. And if we have the courage to speak those things out in the proper setting, right, if God gave you that word of knowledge about somebody's abuse in their childhood, and you got up in front of the church and said that, their heart would not open wide. Their heart would close up. So we have to be wise in when and how we speak it. Just because God had gave you a word doesn't mean you're supposed to speak that word right now. Does that make sense? All right. So God gives us a word, and we have to have the wisdom to know the time to speak it. But when we do, it's going to be for the common good. It's going to build up the church, and it's going to confirm the gospel. And we're going to be able to minister into situations that we never could have because God gave us insight. All right, last one here, real quick. The distinguishing of spirits. The word distinguish is the Greek word diocrisis, and the word discernment is the Greek word estetarion. Here's the fascinating things. These two words combined only show up in the New Testament two times. That's it. That's all we're given on this. The first time is 1 Corinthians 12.10 that we just read, and to some, the gift of the distinguishing of spirits. The other time it shows up is Hebrews 5.14, where the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, says, but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. In that verse, we see both words. The word estetarion is translated senses. Other translations translate it powers to discern. And then we hear the word distinguish, theocracies. So again, what does this mean? It means that we should all be training ourselves to discern. 
We all have the power of discernment, and we should be training that power as we grow in maturity to distinguish between good and evil. The definition of it is the ability to decide or make judgments between two or more distinctive stimuli. Right? So two things are set before us. We should be able to determine which one is good and which one is evil. Which one is truth and which one is false. That's discernment. We should all be developing that discernment. But the gift of the distinguishing of spirits is a special time when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you can distinguish between godly spirits and demonic spirits. You can discern what's happening in the unseen realm. You can discern what is going on in the spiritual world. 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. The one who knows God listens to us. The one who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It is so important to be able to distinguish the spirits. Again... I will use my wife as an example because this is one of her primary gifts, and she feels these things. And uh, sometimes I find it to be a burden. <laughs> For example, we were in Nashville. And so while we were in Nashville, I wanted to experience Broadway Street, right? Like that's what Nashville's all about, the honky-tonk and the country music. So I wanted to walk Broadway streets and listen to country music, Live bands, every, every corner is a different bar, live music all over the place. I wanted to enjoy it. I don't drink. I don't go to bars, but I wanted to experience it. Shannon was miserable and mad at me the entire walk up Broadway streets. Why? Because she can discern the spirits. She could feel the things that were dark and evil. I just wanted to enjoy the country music, right? But to be able to discern that early in our marriage, Shannon would share things with me, and I'd just be like, Shannon, you're overreacting. You're just digging too deep. And then come to find out later she was right. You know what I mean? She'd be like, hey, that person's up to no good. And I'd be like, no. And then she was right. That person was up to no good. Now that we've been married 20 years, now I'm smart enough to listen to her. And so when she can discern the spirits, I listen. It's the ability to distinguish between godly spirits and demonic spirits. It's the divine ability to sense what is happening in the spiritual realm and whether a spirit is of God or of the devil. For example, in Matthew chapter 16, shortly after Jesus just commended Peter for having the word of knowledge and declaring that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus then begins to reveal, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be persecuted, and Peter pulls him aside and says, Jesus, stop speaking about such things. You're going to scare all your followers away. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's purposes, but men's. Jesus discerned the spirits, 
and said, you're speaking for Satan right now. Acts chapter 13, when I picture this, now I picture Lord of the Rings, okay? I love Lord of the Rings. And in the two towers, there's this scene where King Theoden of Rohan, his assistant is named Wormtongue. Now, I don't know about you, but I would think that if somebody was named Wormtongue, that would be the first red flag to not make them your assistants. But apparently, King Theoden didn't get that. And so there's this scene in the movie where the, the, the traveling band with Aragorn and, and all of his companions are trying to rally the king for help. But Wormtongue keeps whispering in his ear these evil thoughts and drawing the king away from the heroes. Until finally the wizard shows up and casts the demon out of him. It's pretty cool. Why do I share that? Because in Acts chapter 13, this is exactly what's happening. Right? Paul is speaking before he wasn't a king, but he was speaking before Paulus. And he was sharing the gospel with Paulus. And Paulus was starting to listen until his assistant whispers in his ear and draws him away from the gospel. And so what does Paul say? Acts 13, 9, But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared at him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not stop making crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And then Paul declared that man mute so that he couldn't whisper in Paulus' ear anymore. Paulus was so struck by the power of God that he gives his life to Christ. That's the gift of the distinguishing of spirits. Are you guys with me? Awesome. Let me have the worship team come back up. Whew, that's a lot. You might have to go back and listen to this podcast again and soak some of this in. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the distinguishing of spirits. Now listen, we don't all have these gifts, but some of us do because the Holy Spirit distributes to each one as He wills, and God's desire is that the church has all of the gifts operating. So the question today is, which one of us is the each one who's going to be given the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the distinguishing of spirits? Do you consider yourself a feeler? Does your spirit bear witness with these revelation gifts? Have you sensed these before? But as Shannon shared earlier, maybe you've run from them. It's time to embrace them. It's a gift, and there is power and practicality in seeing that gift allow you to minister to people. The other question to consider is, have you ever remained silent when you had the unction to speak a revelation? Or the flip side of that is true. Have you ever spoken a revelation when you should have remained silent? My heart and passion through this whole teaching series is that you would understand these gifts, that we would take the fear and the mystery off of them and set you free to begin to operate in them. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to sing a song, and I just want to sing the verse a few times and then the chorus, but I want you to listen to the verse because I believe the verse speaks specifically to crying out for these gifts. And then after we listen to the verse and the chorus a few times, I'm going to ask Sugi to just continue playing. And I'm going to ask us to fan into flames the gift of God that's within us. And if any of those three gifts are operating within you, 
I want to encourage you to step out. You might have a word for somebody. You might have a word of wisdom for the whole church. It might be a revelation of God's will for your ministry. It might be a discerning of spirits. It might be a, a word of knowledge in somebody's life. But can we just begin to stir it up? I could teach and teach and teach on this until I'm blue in the face. But if we will not begin to stir it up as a church, we won't see it activated. Now, we don't know if it's your gift or not, but let's find out. So as we begin to worship, I want you to open your spirit up to an unction. And if you begin to feel an unction, I want you to yield yourself to it. And I want you to do what you're supposed to do. If that means coming up here and taking the microphone and sharing a word with the church, great. You say, well, what if I do it wrong? That's okay. Let's just practice. And you say, wait a minute. Are we supposed to practice the things of the spirits? Listen, students go to college for eight years, get a medical degree, have a residency, do all of that, and then what do they do? They open up a practice. All right? So if after all of that, doctors are still practicing medicine, then I think it's okay for us to practice the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's the only way we're going to get better at it. And if we make mistakes, we'll correct the mistakes. But let's just begin to practice. Amen? Stand with me. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. Would you release these gifts into our church? Would you choose by your will to distribute these gifts to each one? And I pray that we would have the courage and the submission in our hearts to yield ourselves to the gift and to see it to begin to operate in our church, Lord. To see it begin to operate in our community. Lord, that we would rise up and have words of the mysteries of God that no one could oppose. That we could speak a word of knowledge into somebody's life that would open their heart wide open to the gospel. That we could distinguish spirits and know when falsehood is being proclaimed and expose that falsehood. God, give us these gifts and then give us the courage to operate in these gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.